word of the Lord. Have you ever had a case of mistaken identity? And I don't mean a case where you mistook somebody else for being somebody else, but a place where you were mistaken to be somebody that you weren't. Maybe it was just somebody saw you from behind and they thought you looked like somebody they knew and they came up to you and said, Joe, it's, oh, you're not Joe. Maybe it's that, right? Um, It happened to me when I was at Disney World as a 16-year-old. I happened to, when I was much younger and more attractive and had more hair, I looked like an actor. Now, you're thinking Paul Giamatti right now, and I know that, but that's not who I look like then. Who, who I look like then was a young man named Anthony Michael Hall, and he was in uh, some John Hughes movies in the 80s, uh, primarily 16 Candles. And I actually looked very similar to Anthony Michael Hall. And at Disney World, what took place the whole day that we were there is there were groups of people following us around the whole time, whispering, isn't that, do you think that, I think that is, maybe we should, can we go talk, maybe, and nobody ever got the nerve to come up and talk to us, but we knew that that's what they were doing, because at that point in my life, I'd been stopped on elevators and some other places, uh, actually in a hospital room one time, somebody came to visit somebody else and thought I looked like Anthony Michael Hall, it was very strange, but nobody ever said anything to me about it at Disney World. They just followed us around and murmured and talked about who we were, who I could possibly be. I, I think that experience informs a little bit of how we come into this sermon and the fact that today, at this point in our history, in this life, the church is sometimes having people walking around it from the outside looking in with a mistaken identity. And they're like, I think that might be. Is that really what Jesus' body is supposed to look like? Is that really what the church, I don't know, maybe, should we ask? And I think we also do that internally as we walk around. We're like, is this really what it's supposed to be? Is this really what it's supposed to look like? As a matter of fact, if you ask people in the world, if you even ask people in church, oftentimes you say, what is a church? And they will say, well, it's a keeper of past and outdated rituals, right? People will say that. Oh, church is just a a keeper of past outdated rituals. Some will say it's the building down the street. You know, that, oh yeah, that building, yeah, down the street. That's the church. We also can maybe remember a song that I used to sing as a little child where you would intertwine your fingers together and you would say, here's the church and here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Now, we're training our children to say that the building is the church there, right? Not the people inside of it. The country I come from is right now having a little bit of an identity crisis of what the church is as well. People are whispering around and saying, how can this happen or who can this be? Or they're saying, well, because we're this, that's why we've done what we've done. And the reality is, as we come to what the church is today, as we come to this sermon in a series about the pursuit of God, right? His redemptive pursuit through Scripture, what His story is about His coming after us in a redemptive stance. What we come to today, after hearing all the stories about creation, 
and about prophets and priests and kings and how Jesus is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. What we come to today is the church. What we come to today is our identity. And that's why we went to 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Let me reread it for you. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, be with us. Guide us as we hear these words. We pray that they will be your words. We pray that they will take root in our hearts, that they will bear much fruit for you. And Father, we pray that if they are not your words, they will burn up, that they will pass away. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Perhaps I need to make a little bit of a caveat here, just as we begin. Now, we're going to talk about the church. And so for those of you who are part of this body here, this local expression, know that this is a sermon for you. <laughs> for those of you who are visiting, maybe you are part of another body and you've just come here to see what's going on or to visit, this is for you. But maybe you have no affiliation or no place of joining. Well, let me tell you, this is a sermon for you. And the reason why this is a sermon for you in particular is I want you to hear it as an invitation. I want you to hear it as something to think about, to allow God maybe to speak through this time at this place where we talk about this church thing, to invite you in to not just a group of people, but into Jesus Christ. So that's what I hope happens today. Now, we've been talking all along about what this pursuit, this redemptive pursuit looks like. And if you remember, right at the very beginning, what we discussed is that God, before the foundations of the world, had set up what our lives are supposed to be like. That we are supposed to have a right relationship with him, a right relationship with ourselves, a right relationship with others, and a right relationship with place. And we see throughout this story in Scripture that God is pursuing that through all sorts of means and methods. That he chose a particular person in Abraham to open up universally to the world. This movement, redemption back to a right relationship. That he wanted a people who were his, that they could be his people and, they could be, and he could be their God. And what we see Peter telling us here is that's exactly what God has done in Jesus Christ for his church. That we are a holy nation, a people of his own possession, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Those are amazing words to hear. And what it does is it makes us analyze and look and be confronted with this idea that it is in the church that Christ is fully realized. That it is in the church that we are able to move into a right relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, and with place. I'm going to read a couple of other scriptures to you about what church is sort of like, what it is. We're going to go back to Acts 2, verses 42 
and 47. Listen, this is right at the very beginning. It's right after the day of Pentecost, and we see that God is pulling together his people. And this is how it describes it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done among the apostles. And all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, day by day, those who were being saved. You see that the people that were coming together, they began to have a right relationship with God. What does that mean? That relationship with God was an understanding that he's Lord, that he's king, that he's savior, that he's creator, that he's mighty, and I should stand in awe of him and worship him. That everything that I do should be in devotion towards him in response to his great, generous love for me. Why? Because my understanding of myself within the body of Christ is that I was once dead, but now I'm alive. That this great God has saved me and pulled me up into a place of sonship or daughtership with him. That I was an orphan, but I no longer am. And in that, then I don't have to think too highly of myself. And I don't have to think too lowly of myself. That I'm exactly who God made me to be. And that he is saving me and redeeming me and transforming me over and over again but that I gather together with people. Why? So that I can be in community, so that I can know who God really is, because it's in my relationships with you, in my relationships with those around me, that I discover who God is. Why? Because Christianity is really easy when you're all by yourself. Following God, a mighty and holy God, is really easy when you're all by yourself, but it's all these dang people that are all around that make it so hard, right? If it weren't for the people... We would be all right. But God puts us in community in order to sanctify us, to make us holy, so that we see ourselves as we truly are, broken and fallen, but redeemed through the power of God. And not only that, he puts us there so that we can care for one another because he is the one who has knitted us together. And place. They gather together, not just in the temple, but in their own homes. That God gives us the ability to have a place. He's put us right now at this time, at this place in history, in Fremantle. And he's put you in your house or your apartment where you're at right now. So that you can know who God is and his redemptive pursuit in that. It's not by accident that he has done that. So what does that mean for us? How does that move us beyond? think 2 Corinthians gives us an answer. 2 Corinthians 5. Verses 17 through 21. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Who? through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusted to us the message 
of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who had no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when we gather together as a church, when we start to use the word church or say the word church, and all these other mistaken identities begin to grab in on us, remember this, that what God calls us is a holy nation, a chosen priesthood. What he calls us is those who didn't have mercy who now have mercy. What God calls us is his ambassadors of reconciliation. So no matter how we decide to describe ourselves, God describes us in this way. And I think it should cause us to think about three things. Now let me stop here for a minute and say, this is a really big bird's eye view of what the church is, right? And through our time together, as the Lord blesses and keeps us together, we will dig deeper and deeper into this well of what church is. As a matter of fact, come February, we'll start a series on what distinctives of this particular expression of the body of Christ is. So you can be looking forward to that and how it works itself out. But we want to look at three things real quickly about what church means. So the first thing is this, to combat some of that mistaken identity is that it's not ritual, but it's relationship. That it's not ritual, but it's relationship. So let me just say, I love our greeting time. I think it's awesome. But I think it can run the risk of becoming ritual and not about the relationships. Now, I know many of you have really great hearts, and you all long to please Jesus in everything that you do. But I think what can happen in our greeting time is we can think, now I start in the back and I work my way around the sanctuary and I make sure that I greet this person first and this person second and this person third and, this per and I hug this person and I shake this person's hand and I ask them this question, which I ask every... Now, I don't want to step on your toes because I do that too. But if we are doing it because it's the thing that we do and we're not doing it because... We want relationship with those people. We actually want to be able to stop in the midst of it if we see the pain on somebody's face or we hear some exciting news that is happening that we don't feel the need to go, oh, I've got to get to this person or I've got to get to this person. Or if there are new folks who are coming in and sitting in our pews and we don't recognize them because we're too busy trying to make sure we got all the right people and ticked all the boxes then that awesome time that we have together moves to ritual and it falls flat of what the church really is. The same is true with the way that we are doing our worship service and how we want our worship service and liturgy to tell the story of God. Look, if we all of a sudden realize that this telling of the story of God in this particular way is becoming dead to us and we're no longer confronted by the amazing grace of God and the brokenness that I have, then we need to think about it and see, do we need to adjust? As a matter of fact, I'll let you know that when Advent comes, we'll be adjusting some of the things that we've been doing. There will be new things that will be taking place and we will be doing things in different ways. 
Why are we doing that? Well, one, because it's Advent and it's good to do that. But two, because we know that we, as humans, will grow callous in our hearts unless the Spirit is guiding us. And so we want to listen to the Spirit as He guides us in what we do. The danger is when it becomes more of a ritual than a relationship, we look just like Israel. You remember what Israel did? God called them to be a nation for the nations. The promise to Abraham that we heard was to be a blessing to all people. But they insulated themselves and they isolated themselves. And we can look back in history and go, well, of course they did. They're not as good as us. But the reality is, is that we have a tendency to build rituals outside of our relationships. And for good reason, folks. Relationships are hard. Relationships hurt. Relationships bring suffering. Relationships bring pain. Relationships bring expectations that aren't met. And so why would we possibly want to pursue that when all we have to do is say this prayer here, sing this song here, listen to this guy talk here, take this little piece of bread here, and then be on our way. It's a little bit about what's going on in the country today that I came from. Is there men and women who have grown up in the church trying to figure out how that church is doing what it's doing? Because they have set aside relationship, being in conversation with one another, the hard work allowing Jesus to be in the middle of it. And have just built rituals. And in those rituals, they've built rights. And in those rights, they've built entitlements. And in those entitlements, they've decided this has to happen in order for me to get what I want. And I can't believe in God if I don't get what I want. So the church is not about ritual. It's about relationship. The second thing, the church is not about gathering together. It's about gathering in. The church is the people of God that he has gathered together. But as an ambassador, we don't just come together. We gather in. Jesus says that we need to be out looking for the lost sheep just as he did, the lost coin just as he did. Why do I know that? Why in that parable do we actually become like Jesus, not the lost thing? Because when we're moved from no mercy to mercy, when we become his people, we're actually his body is what 1 Corinthians 12 tells us. And that's not metaphorical. That's literal. We are his body. So we are the ones who seek out. We are the ones who search. We are the ones who open our hearts and open our homes with generosity and hospitality because we are the ones who understand it because we have been given it. Look, if you're here and you've never received that from somebody who says they're the church, understand, I know that happens. We stink at it. <laughs> we oftentimes become insular because we like the people that we're with. And we should because God has brought us together and he's knitting us together and we've been through hard times and we've celebrated together and there's lots of commonality. But if you think the church is just an affinity group that just happens to like Jesus and that's the thing that holds us together, then you're sadly mistaken. This is the way that D.A. Carson talks about it in Love in Hard Places. 
He suggests that the ideal of the church is composed of natural friends, but that it's actually composed of natural enemies. He says this, what binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationalities, common accents, praise God for that, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural coalition, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common alliance and allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in the light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says. And he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. You see, we have to move past the idea of the other. When we begin to think that it is them out there and us in here, and this is the third point, it's not about us versus them. It's about us. See, there is no other. There are those for sure who are in the kingdom of darkness and have not yet been brought into the kingdom of light. But we were in the kingdom of darkness and have been brought into the kingdom of light. That doesn't change. That doesn't change the fact that it's God that did it. It doesn't change the fact that we are them. There is no other. We are all together. That God is working for us as ambassadors to say, here is light. And here's the thing. If you saw someone drowning, would you give them a handbook on how to build a life preserver? No. If you saw someone drowning, would you say, I'm not quite up to the level of uh, life-saving skills that I need to be at. If you could hold on, I'm going to go do a few more classes at State Swim, and then I'll get back to you. If you saw someone drowning, would you jump in? And if you didn't know how to do it, would you cry out as loud as you could to those around you who might possibly know how to save them? Would it matter who they were? Would you look at them and think, oh, I don't like the jib of their face. I don't like the look that they have. And back away. I would say our human goodness says, no, I wouldn't do that. But oftentimes that's what the church does. It sets itself up in a way that we look out at people and say, well, we're not quite ready to reach that group or we're not quite ready to reach that other. So maybe we need to train or think about it a little bit deeper. Uh, I, I, we sometimes look and we go, uh, they need to be a little bit more like us for us to don't we? Jesus in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, tells us that we are salt and light. Again, not metaphor. Literally, salt and light. One of the greatest things that salt does is it enhances flavor. 
It's not about making something more seasoning. Or What it does is it takes the actual flavors of the food and makes it better or suppresses things that make it worse. So one of the reasons why you might put salt on a grapefruit is because it brings out the sweetness and it lowers the bitterness. See, God calls us salt. Not just so that we can preserve things like what salt does, but so that we can enhance and suppress, so that we can enhance the goodness of God, so that we can enhance the proclamation of his righteousness, so that we can enhance throughout the world his pursuits. But at the same time, so that we can suppress the bitterness that our fallen state brings to us. He calls us light. And the church is light in that it, explodes into darkness, illuminating, giving sure footing. But one of the things that light does that I love the most is that it provides warmth. That when you start a fire or you light a light, that people will begin to gather around it. They'll begin to get closer to it. And in that moment, we begin to see each other's faces and know who each other really is. And the church is the light of the world. It is the place where they can find comfort and rest and understanding, where they can be known and loved and understood, where they can be seen as who they truly are. That right relationship can begin. And that all comes from the fact that our faith works itself out in love, as Paul tells us in Galatians. Our faith must work itself out in love. Look, Martin Luther King said this in a book. He said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. We never get rid of an enemy by meeting hate with hate. We get rid of an enemy by getting rid of the enmity between us. By its very nature, hate only tears down. And by its very nature, love creates and builds up. Love transforms with redemptive power. Look, as the body of Christ, as the thing that God is using, working through in his redemptive pursuit in his story he binds us together as broken and bold people gathered together by God's grace through Christ to proclaim his goodness that's what we are now one of the things that we did when I was being confused for Anthony Michael Hall is we tried to use it to our advantage we tried to have the workers or cast members at Disney World recognize me as that person so that hopefully we could cut in line and get ahead of everybody else. It never worked. Because once you got closer to me, you could tell that I was about 10 years younger than Anthony Michael Hall, that I really didn't look like Anthony Michael Hall, and I certainly didn't sound like Anthony Michael Hall. Because at that point, while I have an accent now, I was growing up in Oklahoma, and my southern accent was even more pronounced than it is. And Anthony Michael Hall didn't have that accent. The only way that we can be sure that we as the body of Christ reflect 
the truth of who we are is when we rest completely and utterly in the knowledge that Jesus has made us that already. That we choose to look squarely in his face and reflect him to the world. Then people will go, what's going on over there in that building? What's happened to my neighbor? They seem different. And it doesn't matter if you're 5 or 95. It can happen. And if you're here and you're thinking, what is this thing called church? Let me just invite you to stick around. Come and hang out with us. Get to know us. We pray that you will see Jesus. Because that's who we are. We are his ambassadors, showing his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, you are holy and mighty and good to us. Let us hear your words. Let us know that you are our God, that you have called us to be your people, and let us proclaim that. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.